when you're strained Faces come out of the rain When you're strange No one remembers your name When you're strange we are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe! Hello, Aaron! How are you? I'm whispering because it's it's nighttime, and it's scary. <laughs> it, it is, it, based on what we're talking about, yes. There's a lot of things going bump in the <laughs> night, mm-hmm. in the sky, wherever they are. Uh, but yes, I, I'm I'm doing well. Are, are, you, are you good? I'm doing well. Yeah, yeah. I've got some garlic. I've got some wooden steaks. Um, all for kicking, by the way. All for kicking. I was gonna say, yeah. Yeah. Put so, put, put those wooden steaks grill. on the old barbecue. Out <laughs> 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 now is a film podcast. Where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then we have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. And this is something completely different. This is another uh, another um, kind of result. Of a contest that we are vaguely connected to <laughs> that is uh, leading us to talk about some horror movies. Because for whatever reason, Out Now is a weekly movie review show, a monthly commentary show, and a show that occasionally talks a lot about horror films. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's kind of our thing. <laughs> so here we are doing it once again. And uh, for this, uh, we're going to explain why exactly. But for this, uh, this special bonus episode, we're going to be talking both The Lost Boys and 1985's Fright Night. Um, which I think should prove to be a lot of fun. Uh, but joining us to do such thing, we have from Cal State Fullerton. He was eating maggots earlier because he's so cool, Brewster. It's Professor Mike Dillon. Yo, like it's just rice. Don't worry about it. Yeah. How's it going? How's it going? Good, good, good. good. I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, we're glad to have you here, and we're glad that you've incorporated us in uh, in one of your horror contests for your class. Yeah. So just to give some context, um, I partner twice a year with Monster Palooza which is an amazing horror and monster convention that takes place in the LA area twice a year. Um, and by partner, I mean, I work with them to get weekend passes for students. And uh, how I've been doing that is by running a social media contest in which the students have to enter their favorite horror titles. And then you guys pick the one that you want to devote an episode of the pod to. So, and that student wins some passes. So you declared lost boys, the winner uh, some months ago, back in September, I think. So sorry, but we're, we're now fully caught up. Thanks, thanks to, to both of you guys for doing this. By the way, yeah, of course, yeah, happy to for, do it for sure. This is always a lot of fun. We've talked about we've talked about a number of films in the past already, including The Fly, Arachnophobia, and other um, animal small themed like <laughs> the, the birds, right? And uh, and we've branched out since then. We've done this. We did The Shining, and now here we are with two um, cult favorite '80s vampire movies. Um, so this should be a lot of fun. So as we get into this, I, I feel like the best thing to do here is to go over some general thoughts on both these films, and we can start uh, with Fright Night. Uh, so let's do that, and let's play a little trailer for Fright Night. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Mom, I didn't have a nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect 
Darkest Secret. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for Fright Night. Uh, I'm going to read the brief synopsis here. A teenager believes that a newcomer in his neighborhood is a vampire, and so he turns to an actor in a television horror show for help to deal with the undead. Oh, it lays it out pretty, pretty yeah, easy there, pretty succinctly. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so, uh, Mike, I'm going to go to go to you first. Like, what? I, I'm curious. Like, when did you first see Fright Night, and how, how do you how do you regard it in the realm of kind of vampire films? So glad you asked, Aaron. Fright Night, I, you know, I never had much of a relationship to this one. This is back in the glory days of VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about this in tandem with Lost Boys, which I have a much longer relationship to, but never really connected with this one that much. I've always liked the premise, which is basically Rear Window, but with a vampire. But it overall never quite clicked with me, um, mainly because I think Charlie sucks as a character. Um <laughs> And so I'd probably seen it once as 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 a youngster, and I'm you know hadn't hadn't rewatched it till uh, just a couple of days ago to prep for this. All right, yeah. Abe, how about you? My first exposure to Friday Night is actually not the 1985 movie. It's actually the the more recent, I think, 2013 movie, 11. 2011. Wow, Whew, a long time ago. Is it that uh, old? Yeah, I didn't realize it was that old either. First year of the but, show. Whew. It's, it's a fun movie. It's a fun romp, and everybody's doing a good job in that one. Um, I watched this one, uh, the 1985 classic, cult classic, not too long after that original Fright Night or that that uh, remade, remade Fright Night. And, you know, I, I think that there's certainly a, an 80s tinge to it. I, I certainly I actually really enjoy a lot of the special effects that they have in there, um, especially how long it, it's reminiscent of, um, you know, how practical 80s in camera stuff they were doing. Uh, and so I enjoyed that aspect of it. As far as like the plot goes, it's basically the same plot. It moves along at, at a generally quick pace. Uh, you kind of get to where you need to get going pretty quickly in the story. And there's an introduction of all these uh, fairly small characters. But I think I really enjoy the uh, he's played by David David Tennant in the in the remake. But um, Roddy McDowell. Yeah. Uh, Roddy McDowell, who plays Peter Vincent in this one. I really enjoy that character from this movie in large part because he's he seems like he's got some some aura to him and uh i i just enjoy that he's this fictional tv character guy who was caring about ratings and wishes that people watch his show but all of a sudden he's also like a true life vampire hunter and maybe a vampire killer so it's it's a movie that like we're gonna get into both of them but i think it's actually a movie that could be like an entryway into horror if you wanted to watch it with not so young kids, but, you know, children who are 12, 13, 14, 15, um, you could probably get into them with like, hey, this is like some pretty cool like body horror stuff uh, from the 80s. And uh, I think that they would have like a decent enough time with it. That's an interesting point, because I agree with you. And I'd argue Lost Boys is pretty similar as far as they aren't because they have a tinge of comedy to both of them. They have this kind of way of i think working on a younger audience that yeah might not be used to like more hardcore horror but there's certainly like it leans in a certain direction but has its fair share of stuff i like fright night a lot um i've seen i saw fright night i don't know during a early time in my life when i was seeing a lot of like horror films for the first time and it's one that's mm-hmm. always stuck with me because i grew up with hitchcock of course and so like getting a movie where the premise is like you said like rear window but with a vampire like i like that a lot already just inherently i'm into that idea and for whatever flaws it may have, because I don't disagree that William Ragsdale's Brewster is not like 
the it's not the most compelling lead character although mm-hmm. i i can argue that for jason patrick as well as adrian pazdar and <laughs> near dark as well there's we'll something about there. the, the the straight teen lead character that just is less appealing than everybody else around them um but for for what you know for whatever that's worth as far as that character goes i do think the rest of the movie just feels very inventive and lively to me i like the humor quite a bit i like what it does with the vampire visual the vampire effects um the i think the work by chris sarandon as the lead vampire is very good like there's just a lot of stuff that i just find enjoyable here mm-hmm. um and just well put together uh so i know i'm, I'm and i i you know abe and i we both like the remake quite a bit um yeah i and i was certainly I was surprised in the same way I was surprised by like Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake, where it's like, okay, so they took the basic idea, just did a different thing with it. And yeah, I dig it. It I I really dig Colin Farrell and Anton Yelchin in that film a lot. But Mm -hmm. that's not the focus of this conversation. We were talking about this original Fright Night. I'm I'm a big fan. 1985, baby. 38 years ago. Mm -hmm. Since since you bring it up, remind me, the remake takes place in Vegas, right? Yes. Like the outskirts. So they can justify it as like Colin Farrell, he he sleeps during the day because he works at night in Vegas. Right. I see. Who plays the mom? Tony Collette. That's right. Mafia mama herself. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) A movie I haven't seen yet. (laughs) It's a fun cat. You have that Imogen Poots is the the, the female lead. Dave Franco's in there. Yeah, uh, uh, Christopher Mintz Plus is uh, Evil Ed. Evil Ed, yeah. Free green room, Harry. Yeah, yeah. It's a good cast. Yeah, it's got a script by Marty Knoxon from like Buffy fame and stuff. So it's got it's like it's got a wit to it, right? And uh, Colin Farrell is very charming in it. Colin Farrell's great in that. Yeah, so (laughs) he's just like hamming it up, but also like charm factor eleven. But again, that's that movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're talking about we're talking about this 1985 movie, right? Yeah. Night. It's. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the um, the, the, the kind in, of the in the camera effects. Well, the, yeah. Well, oh, yes, that's what I'm leading to. Yeah, the, the but like the um, the gateway factor, and it's like yes, it. I do think it's not necessarily tame, but it's certainly like it's not intense in when it presents a tour, but it does get pretty like gruesome. It, it gets gnarly. Yeah. yeah, it's gooey. And it does. Yeah, gooey we'll, is a great word. And we'll get. I think we'll get back to that. We we'll kind of get more into both of these films. Yes, exactly. It, it does have some really interesting ideas of how to play with like vampire lore, and that's certainly something mm-hmm. I want to talk about in regards to both of these films. But before we do that, let's talk about the Lost Boys. Now, let's uh, let's get some general thoughts on that. Before we do that, let's hear a bit of the trailer for the Lost Boys. You'll never grow old, Michael, and you'll never die. Be one of us. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. (laughs) You know where Hudson's Bluff is? I can't beat your bike. You just have to try and keep up. How far are you willing to go, Michael? All right, that should have been told the trailer for The Lost Boys. Oh, this synopsis is even more brief. After moving to a new town, two brothers discover that the area is a haven for vampires. <laughs> Period. Okay. <laughs> um, hey, I'll start with you this time. When did you first see Lost Boys, and how do you feel about this film? I saw Lost Boys uh, like really early on, but in bits and pieces. This was, again, those Saturday afternoon movies that they would show on network television way back in like the early nineties kind of thing. Um, and it was heavily edited for TV. So they didn't really, I mean, there's actually not a whole ton that they probably have to edit out except for in the last third and third act. 
but um i revisited it again later like post college um just to see it in full and it doesn't really change my views on it i think it's actually a very like uh it has different different um tones that it's that it has like within each of these three main characters the main characters being like the mom diane weiss the brother jason patrick and then also the other brother Corey haim um, where Corey Haim is hanging out with the other Corys and kind of just doing like fun bantery stuff with like their grandfather. Jason Patrick seems like he's like in a different movie, just doing a bunch of drama about like what's going on here. I'm trying to like be cool and fit in, but also the the big theme of like the '90s of don't do drugs uh, really really seems to fit the, 80s. the aesthetic. Yeah, the '80s, but you know how like the Dare program was like around in the the '90s, um, and then uh, Dan Weiss is kind of just here, kind of just. Being like this adult romantic comedy, uh, which with Herman Munster and I, uh, Edward I, Herman. yeah, he's not Herman Munster, he's not Herman Munster. Um, <laughs> but I, I really enjoy, um, the comedic elements of this movie, uh, more so than I think I enjoy the, the drum dramatic elements in this movie. Uh, and I think it kind of gets a, a weird shuffle. And what I really enjoy about Joel Schumacher's. Uh, direction in this is that you actually don't really see anything until like the hour mark of this movie and this movie is like an hour and 40 minutes or something like that so like you see a lot of like camera swooping and you see a lot of uh people being dragged away but you don't actually see any of the makeup effects until much much later uh when they're trying to get jason patrick to kind of do some some dirty deeds and I, 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 I admire that restraint. Uh, but at the same time, I think that there's better effects in um, Fright Night than there are in The Lost Boys. So I, 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 I enjoy Fright Night for being more comedic uh, while having some really cool practical effects. Lost Boys, I don't have that much of a connection to. So I'm curious what Mike has to say. Yeah, Mike, where are you with Lost Boys? Sounds like you're more fond of this film. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when when Abe says Fright Night could be a sort of a gateway into horror, I think uh, I couldn't speak to that, but I think Lost Boys definitely was one for me. Um, this was a VHS I owned as a kid, and so I can't quite place anymore when I first encountered it, but I remember always thinking this was really cool. And it might, <clears throat> I don't know, but it might even be one of the first R-rated films that I watched uh, regularly. Um, I mean, that said, I don't think I've rewatched it in... I don't know, maybe 20 years, maybe more. So this was fun to revisit. Mm -hmm. um, I also always had an affinity as a kid for characters who shared my name. So hey. like Mike Goonies and then Michael, the Jason Patrick character here. So it was like, you mean I could grow up to be an emo vampire? <laughs> Most dreams. World is my, world is my oyster. <laughs> um, so I think where um, Bright Night, I mean, between the two options, my preference is clear. I think if you prefer Cheeky, then Fright Night has its charms, but Lost Boy is more about being cool. Mm -hmm. um, that's a key distinction. Although, you know, one thing watching them kind of back to back that I found interesting, <clears throat> I'm not sure where this all started, but it links up, the two link up nicely together because there's something kind of funny and countercultural in that they both feature kids who read comic books and are sure. just, they're just pop culture nerds. And that's what makes them best equipped to know how to handle vampires. Mm -hmm. I mean, Monster Squad does the same thing. And this, of course, predates the sort of meta humor of Scream, mm -hmm. which is much more is telegraphing these sensibilities more openly. But it's both of these are commercial pop culture films about kids whose lives are saved by their own pop culture knowledge. 
it's this weird kind of snake eating its own tail as a piece of pop art. Yeah. And that that really struck me um, in a way I hadn't really realized before that there's something in the air in the 80s. Um, they were doing scream before scream. Sure. Yeah. I um, on that point, I, I certainly agree. It's something I've always I, I I've I like scream plenty. I and I acknowledge what it's doing that feels like different, but it is the kind of thing where it's like, I mean, it it's a nice jump start as far as nineties horror is concerned, since there was a lacking element in the early nineties. But in terms of like movies that are aware of themselves, I do th- I I've always thought of like films like Fright Night and Lost Boys, let alone even like New Nightmare, which is, you know, a couple years before Scream with Wes Craven doing that. It's like ninety four. It, it, yeah. It, and uh among other somewhat self even like the jason films be like they started to know what the joke was by by six so it's like yeah i i know i'm not undervaluing screen but it's like horror movies kind of they they knew their tricks at certain points and kind of got characters in on the gags but in regards to lost boys i i, I mean I, I agree with what you're saying as far as it's a movie that's certainly emphasis on a certain kind of attitude that the characters want to all share the tone of the film wants to share. And it's very stylish because Schumacher has that kind of ability in his, in his direction. Um, It's a film that I similarly watched when I was in my teens, when I was kind of catching up before movies, I just, you know, was discovering for the first time. Um, I, I'm lesser on lost boys and fright night, not by much, but I do like, it's just not one that's comparatively. It's not one where like, I, I just don't place it as high, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's plenty of things I admire about the Lost Boys. Um I do think the we'll get into various reasons why, but I do think the I think the cast is overall more if like on the there's a more entertaining quality to this particular set of characters comparatively. And I like what they're doing with the vampire stuff here. Um I do think the I guess the story itself is just kind of like it's it's fairly low stakes and not that i no pun um and not that i um you know need super high stakes for any vampire movie but i do feel like it just never feels like there's a lot at risk when i watch this movie it's like okay i can know hopefully they'll stop evil Kiefer sutherland and uh, we'll see what happens where like <laughs> and know, Twitter. it always just feels like there's a bigger sense of danger with fright night like there's i don't i can't really place my thumb on it as right now but i don't know there's just something that seems more sinister about what's going on where lost boys just like oh they just want a mom uh, just like that's nice that's not that's not the worst well, that's wish partly, to have. yeah that's partly um because there's such an affinity to the goonies right uh-huh. not just because of the richard donner connection but like goonies is is the movie for 12 year olds and then this is the one that's for 17 year olds yeah but it's the, a, there's mm-hmm, several sure. really kind of these sort of romps right these adventure teen adventure movies yeah that's a that's a fair maybe, way to put it uh, maybe that's why the sort of um the kind of real sense of menace and danger that Fright Night has isn't quite translating to Lost Boys for you, maybe? Perhaps, and that's all. That's definitely why uh, Monster Squad is better than Goonies in my eyes. Like, I just, I like sure. that story more than, than what Goonies is doing, where it's like, oh, I hope they find that treasure, I guess. I, I, <laughs> I, I wish it didn't take 40 joke. minutes for them to get there, but... Um, it's... I make the same joke about Monster Squad versus Goonies all the time. So Monster Squad is about a group of kids who save the universe from the eternal forces of darkness the goonies managed to interrupt a real estate transaction (laughs) (laughs) that's literally what goonies is about Uh, because as we all know pieces of like plastic emeralds and stuff like that can they'll they'll stop a town from being bought out by a millionaire (laughs) corporation (laughs) 
But what do I know? Data has an Oscar, so he's winning the battle. Boom, baby. <laughs> I'd also like to add about the uh, the cool factor that you're talking about, Mike. Um, you know, when I passed by these covers in the video store way back when, I, I certainly got that vibe from this cover. Um, oh, I, yeah. I never picked up Fright Night because I was like, oh, well, this looks very menacing. Um, and that's probably why I didn't watch it till much later. Um, but Lost Boys, I've always thought of like, oh, well, you know, I know who Kiefer Sutherland is. My first exposure to Kiefer Sutherland is in Stand By Me, uh, where he plays Ace, right? So, you know, seeing this cover, seeing them in leather jackets, uh, that certainly get, gives me that cool appeal. When I watched it for the first time in full with like, you know, a coherent uh, brain, I certainly was surprised. When did by that coherent humor. brain kick in? I'm just curious. Uh, when I was 27, 27. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, with a little bit more uh, understanding of horror movies and the, the vampire trope, I should, I should uh, clarify. But um, yeah, I, I was surprised by the, the comedy that Corey, the two Corys are bringing to this movie. Um, so that's why I was kind of thrown off by it uh, to some degree, but I certainly hear what you're saying from the cool factor. I mean, everybody, uh, I can certainly see how all the people that are the Jason Patrick, um, adjacent, uh, age, uh, folks are certainly there to be cool. And, and he plays it cool too. Jason Patrick kind of has to like play like this, you know, 17 year old teenager guy who just doesn't want to talk to his mom and wear sunglasses during the daytime. He's cooler than... Because we, we could we could have easily like thrown near dark in here too if we wanted to, but he's he's much cooler than Adrian Pazdar, who is just like he's such a he's such a non presence for me, and that that's partially why I'm not huge on Near Dark, Catherine Bigelow's vampire film, because it's like mm-hmm. I really like the Lance Henriksen, Bill Paxton, that stuff, and then it's like this this weak wimp guy is like coming in, it's like I don't care about the romance plot, just give me more sure. of these like cool vampires. <laughs> By comparison, Jason Patrick, he's doing the job here. I I could agree that he he works in how he's factoring into the story as far as like he has a younger brother, he has a mom, he wants to take care of his family, he wants to be a normal guy to an extent, but he's also like, but fuck, but Kiefer Sutherland and Star, they're so cool. Yeah, I was like, Star is really like the one that's just like, hey man, let's like go and like go ride motorcycles in the dark. Well, it's teen angst, right? It's like, oh yeah, well, sure. <laughs> I'm in San, Santa Carla and there's <laughs> there's the one girl in like a, a denim jacket, so that's obviously the target for me apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, the there's more sort of there's more of a world to lost boys right because that's fair yeah i mean the the montage of the opening credits is just a a series of images of all these weirdos and social misfits as the doors blaze yeah it's supposed with missing person posters right so it's about teen angst and not fitting in and you know uh, the our our main villains are wild kids dressed a certain way uh, with earrings and riding around without their helmets how daring um but i think one thing i remember keying in at some early stage when I was watching this film is that it's kind of the idea that the vampire lifestyle, which is staying up all night and being asleep during the day is suitable to teenagers. Mm-hmm. That's perhaps how they go undetected is because they're just behaving like rebellious teenagers anyway. Oh, I yeah. thought it was kind of, a, kind of a neat idea. Yeah. I mean, I it, a, fit, it fits for, for what this movie is presenting. Yeah. Where you have, yes, this, almost counterculture vibe you have the yeah you have rebellious teenagers you even have like a security guard who seems to be like resenting these people let alone <laughs> let alone edward herman's character who before we kind of get to where things go it seems like he's a guy that has encountered these characters to some degree and just sure. just has a distaste for them of some kind yeah like yeah it, i think it that for 
what it's doing with teenagers in this movie that makes sense. I will say in Fright Night, I don't think it makes less sense. I think the the characters there, uh, Brewster and Evil Ed, they're nerds. Like they're yeah. not popular. <laughs> like they're not cool. And I think that's very deliberate. It, yeah. Uh, and, and that's a balance where for Brewster, as far as you know, he has a girlfriend and they're trying to like go to some next level or whatnot. But he and he's but he's also like consumed by his other curiosity is like uh, i can't help but look out the window and see what my yeah. neighbors I mean, up he's to. got he's got like quote unquote like nerd tendencies right so he watches like watches horror, horror shows. tv shows and, and he also does his trigonometry homework right mm-hmm. so he's he's a good kid but i agree with you that mike that yeah the world in friday night is much smaller like you don't really meet anybody else the the cat it's the core contained yeah. group yeah the core group is basically there and you you don't have that montage scene of anybody else in the town um uh, at all and then I, w- I just to uh briefly add on to the counterculturist uh teenage angst stuff i mean their entire den has it has like uh a doors like giant poster in the background and they're eating like chinese food at like midnight you know like it's so that's a great call of just hey it's pretty cool that the parallels of teenagers and vampires kind of fits in here so yes well i don't when does Anne Rice start publishing? It's like Interview with the Vampires in the seventies, right? I want yeah, I want to say seventies. I can make sure of that, but um, is this sure. idea of like yeah, the cool, sexy vampire seems most influenced by Anne Rice, and in particular, she introduces this. Uh, I, I I don't know enough to say she introduces it, but she strikes me as someone who really kind of popularizes the idea of vampires as sort of sensitive and tragic mm-hmm. and conflicted, like having. Having Michael be a reluctant vampire, right? I, I don't, I don't want to kill people. Right. Someone who doesn't want, who doesn't embrace what they are, um, that it, seems most influenced by Rice to me. Yeah, Rice is certainly, and it is seventies, but yeah, Rice is certainly, in, in that regard. Yeah, in terms of like the, I don't know, the empathetic nature of vampires, be, I mean, it's it's tricky, right? Because like Dracula, there's certainly always been a seduction to Dracula. There's certainly a, a romantic element that, to that character compared to you know other the other classic monsters but yeah as far as the yes the kind of the seduction aspect the you know the the cool factor the sexy angle for for you know in the realm of dracula and the things around it and mm-hmm. stats and all that like that's yeah that and rise has certainly made that more of a a factor no matter how many franklin gillas they want to throw at you in the hammer movies well yeah what, what fascinated me most about rewatching lost boys is how queer it is um yeah Right, I mean, you can argue so, that in both movies, I would say. Yeah, oh in both, but I certainly got that vibe too, and I, I'd love to hear your your thoughts more on that because I, I was going to mention something about this homoeroticism in it as well. Yeah, it's it's tempting to lay it at the feet of Joel Schumacher, yeah. um, although an, I, open, I, an openly gay director and and a famously flamboyant guy too. I mean, Joel mm-hmm. Schumacher is one of these guys who, um, if I meet someone who's ever worked with him, I always ask if they have a good Joel Schumacher story because they always do. <laughs> Um, they always do. And but but then again, I'm also not sure how much control he had over a Richard Donner production this early in his career. So I'm I'm kind of speculating there. But I will say um, I, I just to add to that, like I listened to Lost Boys. I watched Lost Boys. With, I've seen it plenty. So I've watched it with the commentary with Joel Schumacher mm-hmm. this past time. And it seems like he like not to say that he had like all the control possible, but it was a fairly low budget movie. And if anything, Donner was more of a guard as far as we have we have Schumacher his vision is what's going on here Donner's more of like the guy that's making sure that Schumacher's being able to do mostly what he wants to do with his film so okay. it's well, very guess, much a film by him yeah yeah I guess the, the point at which they start home aloneing the house 
and <laughs> things are like exploding, that's when I feel like it's it's a bit more uh, studio oriented. But but um, I I've always found myself kind of intrigued by this and watching it now. And by the way, I'm by no means the first person to sort of peg sure. this movie being sort of uh, yeah. full of queer iconography. But you know, it is first of all a vampire film, which is all about sort of contagion through blood and it's made in the context of the AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. um, that seems kind of uh, a, a point of interest. And so, I mean, some of the imagery feels a bit more superficial, like having a single earring is connoting a queer lifestyle. I think, you know, lethal, even lethal weapon makes jokes about that, but mm -hmm. um, the head, one thing I noted this time around, are we doing spoilers? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. We're okay. talking about movies so, from 1980s. We can do spoilers. The final boss, right? The big bad, the, uh -huh. the head empire. Um, I mean, think of how he's characterized, right? He's this conservative, heteronormative, you know, like Ned Flanders type straight out of the 50s who believes in discipline and wants a family. And he clearly represents like an older generation that the younger younger vampires openly reject as being he's, he's too square, man. And so I think what the film is doing is linking the countercultural lifestyle to these sort of alternative practices of exchanging fluids and just sort of you know, we're vampires and we're embracing and enjoying what we are and partying all night. And I think that's what makes this film kind of significant. I'm not 100% confident that Lost Boys was the first to do this, but sure. it, it certainly feels like it was an early film that made vampires sexy and cool. And before that, vampires were from like the old world, right? They're aristocrats with European accents and all that. Um, there's also this assistance, right? From the beginning, that vampirism manifests itself differently. Like some explode, some implode. And so there's this celebration of diversity and difference, I think, going on in Lost Boys that I found really fascinating. And it's mostly all white cast. Yes, for sure. That's true. <laughs> also, I, I just want to I mean, th there's some potentially problematic readings here, right? Because sure. it, it implies that homosexuality is inherently predatory if we want to like sort of follow this logic and, and that it can be cured. Yeah, I was going to say that that's the part that I had problems with toward the end of this movie. I was like, I don't know if this is the message that I... Again, yeah, so, well, that's I mean, the read that comes of any like monster movie, though, where you're, yeah, yeah. you know, you so, always talk about the monsters after the fact, right? And yeah. you talk about so, how they're misunderstood is, or whatnot. This is where the requirements of the genre, mm -hmm. uh, because ultimately you have to resort to certain tropes, namely that the vampires need to be vanquished, doesn't quite mesh with where the film is potentially being kind of subversive. But you could also argue that the vampires that live and then revert back to not being vampires or like they're that's the their essence of that character is still intact because they're always that person they're just no longer a vampire anymore i know that leads to other conversations about how you can just get right. get rid of the thing that was the problem and still be yourself uh but i i hear it you yeah. i mean it it, yeah it's it's you know it's a lost place it can yeah, only do exactly. so much um you know you spoke about something that uh aaron you, this is going to blend into what we we're talking about earlier just like the 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 rules of the game um, a lot of similar rules in both these movies. A lot of like you can't go in unless somebody invites you, and then a lot of uh, a lot of talk about steaks, garlic, holy water. Um, and I found that to be you know, I, this has been around for a while, um, but I really like the way that they're uh, the way that Corey, not him, Corey Feldman, is like, hey, here's this comic book that I keep pushing on this kid. And it's going to tell you everything you need to know about it. And, you know, if you have any problems, just give me a call on the back. And then again, in Fright Night, Charlie is learning about all this stuff through probably osmosis from watching old horror movies as well. But also because of uh, uh, Roddy kind of just telling him about 
how some of these things work and obviously evil ed as well so a lot of parallels in in vampire lore in both these movies it it speaks to what mike you pointed out earlier as far as the fact these characters are informed by carl culture in order to deal deal with the you know the threats that have presented themselves and because like and i've talked about this plenty like i what i like about vampire movies or any number of horror films that deal with a supernatural creature that can vary from you know franchise to franchise or whatever you there's always you know what what's what distinguishes them what rules apply here because these are make-believe things there's no like definite set of answers for that uh no matter how many people want to complain about i guess sparkling vampires and twilight it's like yeah that's their thing whatever yeah. uh this you mean version... you mean there's no one going these vampires can go in without an invitation that's just <laughs> <laughs> so yeah hey, they go to class so when you so when you look at both of these two movies yeah there's a there is a there is a somewhat of an adherence to the classic vampire tropes as right. far as the things you already mentioned dave you know steaks and garlic and crosses or what have you mm-hmm. uh, which which is neat but it's neat to see it's also neat to see both movies still have their own quirks to them as well as far as the vampires in the, in the lost boys there's yeah there's explosions when you vanquish some of them right. uh there's the they they can play mind tricks on people apparently that like that's a thing they have where yeah. fright night like um um uh jerry dandridge he can like teleport uh he can turn into a bat he, he, he can turn into a bat he can turn his like his other vampires into all kinds of, like and evil ed becomes a wolf um his oh that's that's an interesting yeah that's a good his point. his main man his you know his familiar guy he's like a zombie of some sort his, his redfield yeah. yeah um so it's, it's it's you know it's neat to pick up on like okay this is like the, the rules that apply here even though what's his name edward herman and lost boys like his whole thing is like how can we consider his reflection well you invited me inside you invited so me in, yeah. they, they which pretty, is pretty funny pretty the rule. <laughs> yeah evil ed is um <clears throat> stoned out of his mind right for the he was born that way. What that? He was, <laughs> he born, was that born that way. I don't know. He seems like a straight laced guy, just like high energy. That I mean, I don't know if if, if the actor was. It doesn't strike oh, me. Oh, as the a actor. Uh, that could be a different story. Yeah. I I think the character is just one of the. I, I've I know people like that. I'll put it that way, and it's not because they're you know using drugs. It's sure, just sure. that's the kind of attitude they carry with yeah. themselves. That's the way they. Well, they act. It's exhausting. <laughs> I, I yeah. imagine um, <laughs> it, it could probably it could probably be a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, of course, it can. I yeah. I kind of wanted to ask you guys about uh, you know we we I actually uh, the special effects in this movie and the way that you sort of mentioned Evil Ed kind of being a, a a wolf dog and then there's like an extended transformation sequence of him but also what happens to. Um, jerry's assistant but even in lost boys you know what happens to alex winter is very different from what happens to the guy gets pushed in the tub uh which has an enormous effect on the house by the way oh yeah it ruins Uh, their pipes forever yeah they're not (laughs) gonna be able to live there again (laughs) that house is ruined grandpa's gonna be pissed yeah but um yeah what'd you guys think of of uh the effects when they did kick in Uh, and was there one that you guys liked better than the other i'll start uh i think Kiefer sutherland's vampire face is very effective no eyebrows um, it is a I, to the point where that's like a legendary face of him like like the first time you see him like in vampire face mode it's just a really and Kiefer has the kind of features that make that work really well mm-hmm. um on the other side 
I think what the what the Fright Night effects do, what the you know, we can talk about the vampire stuff, but what I really like is how much how much devotion there is to the death scenes of some of those characters. Yeah, that that scene where Evil Ed gets impaled by a thing, and you spend a long time watching this character die, and it's sad. <laughs> Like it makes it really like it's effective as far Peter as Peter Vincent's crime. Yeah, like he's he's visually upset because it's this you know this kid just got murdered because a vampire turned him into a wolf thing and he doesn't know how to handle it. It's very sad to watch, and even the familiar guy, it's a very extended like melting sequence that goes that, on. That's my favorite, and it's it's really cool looking. Goo. Yeah, yeah, and goo. it's less it's less about the empathy compared to Evil Ed's death scene, but like just the care that went into making this possible i what i like a lot in the fright night is that the fact that it kind of turns into like a haunted house movie by the end where it's just like crazy stuff's happening within it it's literally fright night mm -hmm. um and that just really works for me in, in that regard but mike where are you, what about you with these effects i'm in a similar place i think the fright night effects are much more set pieces they're angling for it more yeah i, I mean the, the movies do the, the movie just kind of grinds to a halt to give you this long sort of uh, special effects sequence. I, I mean, I like both. We've talked about this loads. Um, this is around that sweet spot when horror was doing really fun things with practical effects mm -hmm. in, in that last decade before VFX start to take over as the norm. And so Fright Night is, is a lot of fun, but I think it comes at the cost of sort of narrative momentum, whereas uh, Lost Boys is a bit more punchy. So, I mean, that's kind of the calculus I do. I, I enjoy both, but I do think on the whole, Lost Boys kind of just leaves me with a a more entertaining experience as sure. opposed to sort of like pointing and like, ooh, look at that. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have a, a, a plot question for uh, for both of you, but Mike, I'd love to hear your take first. What, what's up with the kid uh, in Lost Boys? Like, is that her brother or is that just like a kid that they tried to turn or? I think Isn't that I suspect like that kid What's his Lenny? Is that his name? He has a name, form, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's a, it a name. Um, it's Laddie. Laddie. Um, I think I suspect that character had a larger role in an earlier version of the script. Oh, okay. Um, in in particular, because well, so let me let me I give you a roundabout answer because something I wanted to mention earlier when we're talking about the cast. I think the cast in Lost Boys is mostly good. But I actually think the one person who's really miscast is Corey Haim because he's too old. I think that character <laughs> is a smaller kid. The thing is, that kid is written like a younger kid. He keeps yeah. behaving like one, right? He's written he's written sort of like a kid who's still in the like, yuck, girls are gross stage. Yeah, interesting. Someone, that not someone who's, that, that yeah, not someone who's, his voice is cracking and he's his the, the age gap between him and Jason Patrick is... Um, I guess not that big. So I I wonder if there was a an earlier version before they kind of punched it up for an older audience that's kind of a bit more Goonies, a bit younger, and whether or not the laddie was maybe a larger role, because it's called Lost Boys, right? Which is the Peter Pan reference. Mm -hmm. and it's not lost teenagers. And so I feel like maybe that explains why that kid is even in there. In terms of the film we get, I guess he stars younger brother who takes a sip of the Jesus juice and turns vampire. I don't know. Yeah. Keeper Sutherland's Jesus juice, you guys. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? It's blood. 
I will say uh, that the the premise originally was devised to be like a younger group before they aged them up a bit to to be more you know rebellious teens. That would have been interesting because I that I wonder what how that would have meshed with some of the more like. It just wouldn't uh, be as cool. It'd be, yeah, it'd be, I guess it'd it be more. Be it'd be more like the Goonies. You wouldn't have Schumacher wouldn't make this movie. You know, you'd have somebody else making. This yeah, movie. I see that where be. that clash comes in. Now, where you guys both talked about it. Yeah, um, I. I can't speak to the Corey thing. Like I never, I don't, I would, I, I feel like I'm too old for like when the Corey's was a thing between him we, and we and all are. And I, I, I just, I don't know what that is. I, I don't, I like the frog brother, him and Jamie Newlander and, and, and Corey Haim. Like they certainly have their vibe here, but like, I don't, I haven't watched the other films featuring Corey's or whatnot to like know what the special chemistry they had was beyond like this movie, honestly. So it's like, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm glad they were a thing or whatever they did, but like it just it's a kind of a non-entity to me. I can see what you're saying as far as Haim maybe being too old, but it's just like that aspect of the film is so with its own place in my eyes where it just doesn't really hit me in a, any specific way beyond like, yeah, that's this this side plot is like these three, you know, doing schemes to, to figure out vampires, which is fine. It's just, it's just not a, it's not it doesn't like ruin the um the aesthetic i guess on the whole beyond just being like meanwhile this is happening mm-hmm. yeah i'm also not familiar enough with the whole two Corey's dynamic to know it which it is only built on the fact that their names are Corey. <laughs> like, they were in, they were both <laughs> in the I, 80s and mid i do yeah. i do understand we're supposed to associate them as a duo but i'm not clear on the timeline so is it this is one of those two movies or did that relationship grow out of movies like this i actually don't right. know it grew out of this one. This is the was first it? one they're in together, because uh, Feldman was already doing stuff. Yeah, he he had definitely been in some stuff before because we've seen him younger in Stand by Me as well. <clears throat> yeah, so I mean, I can think of much earlier roles, um, including Goonies with Feldman, but I I don't know that I know what Haim was doing before this. So Haim only, Haim only has like a few movies before, like Lucas is before this, which is like him him oh. star with with starring with the 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 other actress from Goonies actually. <laughs> and Lucas oh, okay. With them. Well, like because well, it's this and License to Drive is after this. And that's that's yeah. when like Corey Fever took over. Or whatever. I don't know how many films they had. That after. means yeah. What that means though is that if they weren't already kind of a pop culture duo, that means they didn't give Corey Haim an, a role that was meant for someone younger, just so that they could get the two Corys in a film together. Right. Yeah. So, so I stand by my criticism that I think it's a, a bit miscast. Sure. Yeah. And I definitely see what you're saying there. Um. Because yeah, there's parts where he's you know jumping in bed and being like she's a vampire and just like it's very childish but i also was thinking like well i guess you know he looks like he's like 14 i guess that, that's kind of right but yeah uh that maybe he's this is where my thermal unevenness comes into play there's that moment he's taking a bath and it's just sort of a that's right yeah improvi- improvisational master class on core Ham's part it's i just... also just was laughing because it's like his brother tells me to go take a bath and i was like he's not gonna take a bath he's gonna take a shower nope it's a bath yeah, that's what I mean. He's he's written to be younger than he is. Yeah. Do you think um um what's his name? Rudy. Uh Sean Austin would have been a a better Are they fit. the same age? Yeah, but he he skews younger, I feel. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that might have worked out. Uh, but I um uh, I was also thinking like, you know, this age like difference thing, it just maybe it reminded me of Shazam too. Uh, Revenge of the Gods, where it's like, yeah, the the kid, the kid, the kid Shazam, is playing a real eighteen year old, and then, uh, 
Zach Levi. Zach Levi is playing like 12 year old. So it just really met did not mesh as well. It's a good thing. That's probably the only problem that film had from what I <laughs> It's got wooden dragons in it. Uh, another thing I had for you guys was just in. Oh, go ahead. I was like, we can, we can focus more on the cast a bit here since we're sure. talking about them. And um, we talked about um, uh, the the leads a bit already with Patrick and um, and William Ragsdale to an extent. But like, you know, obviously Lost Boys has a number of characters that are all you know vampires. We've not really talked about Kiefer beyond like his face looks scary. Um, the thing I notice. I think every time I watch this, because I kind of forget, is that he just doesn't say much in this movie at all. Yet he's entirely memorable uh, in this movie. He has a very good presence uh, throughout the film. That's uh, you know that doesn't necessarily come easy, and so it's it's interesting to watch how he's framed so prominently when you think about Lost Boys, and yet he only has so many lines compared to everybody else in this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're right to feature him on all the posters, right? Yeah, um, Kiefer sells. Uh, his I, old, what, his what old nickname. He, yeah, what had he done at this point uh, before? Nothing really. Like he has, like Schumacher cast him because of like a deleted scene of him at the end of like act or like he most of his roles deleted, but he's in this movie called At Close Range with Robert Duvall, and he uh-huh. has like a scene at the end. And Schumacher's like, that guy's a movie that's, star. That's the guy. Yeah, like that's okay. that's it. I but, see um, a star. But uh, he, this is, he's still young at this point, so it's still right. like it's Stand by Me is the main role. Like that's you know he's, sure. he's he had a few other things before that, but that's mainly Stand by Me is like his most prominent role. Okay, um, arguably not that different a role either, right? In no, it's of, basically him yeah, growing up yeah, and kind of less of an asshole, but more of a you know blood sucking vampire. Yeah, it's like, yeah <laughs> he's still Ace, but now he's a vampire, <laughs> and it's the eighties, you know, not the fifties. <laughs> Well, he's ageless. They're vampires. So he stopped aging. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, you know, it takes place. In... Yeah, <laughs> he still has uh, the hat. Yeah, he stole from Gordy Lachance. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, uh, that's a good call out of uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Basically, like, I again, I saw him in all the promotion material, and and uh, he doesn't really have a, a whole lot to say because it's more of a Jason Patrick vehicle and uh, a star vehicle. And then again. You have a weird, funny subplot of the younger brother, but um, well, even then, I mean, it's more like he's the prom, he's the prominent like villain of this villain. movie, yeah. And you'd expect the villain to have a lot to say, some you know, to some degree. And it's like he really doesn't like. There's really, he's not, he's in this movie without really having to do much beyond look evil. Just yeah. like so, that's a lot. That's a that's a good point. Well, yeah, I feel like this goes back to the, the kind of queer coding going on in the film mm-hmm. because. A love story between Michael and Star, this movie is clearly not interested in that at all, right? The love scene shows such a disinterest that it makes, it's almost rude. And I think the film, this film really shines when it's clearly more interested in the other types of male-male bonding, which is not necessarily romantic. So like the Frog Brother stuff is fun, but the Michael versus, is it David, the Keeper Sutherland? Yes. Michael versus David stuff is way more interesting. And so... I'd put it this way. I think this is an erotic film, but the relationship between Michael and Star is not where this movie thinks the erotic charge is. Mm-hmm. And I think it. I, I don't necessarily want to say they could have capitalized on that further if they'd given Kiefer a, a bigger part with more lines, because I think the, the minimalism is something that works in the film's favor. But sure. it's kind of makes me think or second guess where this movie is sort of... Um, where it's sort of spark really is 
on the it's other not, side. It's not. It's not with mom. I mean, mom's a Diane's a terrible thing to waste. But uh, uh, you should leave one. that. In. Yeah. No, no, no. We're gonna actually capitalize. That's not. Yeah, so there are some nice moments. There's nice moments between brother and brother or mother and son or et cetera. But the film's got a lot of other stuff going on that right. I think. And and you're right about like the charging of it all. Like, you know, the vehicle really gets going with the Michael stuff, right? Um, and, you know, again, if you want to read more into like symbolism and what have you, like especially the way that the way that uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character dies in this movie is he gets impaled by a set of horns, but he's thrown there by Michael, right? So I don't know. Take that with, with what you will. But, How is it you guys are overlooking the most iconic character in this whole film, which Grandpa? is sexy saxophone guy? I was like, the... oh, Tim Compton, Tim Compton, uh, what's his name? Tim Compton, um, Tim Capello. Yeah. I don't know his name, but it's, it's Tim Capello. He, he's a saxophonist for uh, Tina Turner, uh-huh. um, but he's, yeah, he, he, he comes in this film and he's, you know, like shirtless, greased up and playing a saxophone. And like, everybody loves this guy. Like he is the most popular guy in Santa Carla. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, if having, know. if having a sexy saxophone guy is wrong, I don't want to be right. You know, <laughs> why didn't they, why didn't they make him a vampire? You know, why well, who says Michael... he isn't Abe? I only see him oh, at night. That's a good point. Yeah. I don't see him during the day. That's a great point. Yeah. 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 The sequels. The sequel, which there were uh, direct to DVD, so maybe maybe he's him. Maybe maybe we don't. Maybe there's a whole Tim Capello cinematic universe we don't know about. <laughs> Take my money. Yeah, but he's killing it on the on the saxophone, and then uh, and then the security guard gets killed. I thought you were gonna say Grandpa, because Grandpa's no. great too. Yeah. Grandpa is great. He's got like weird one liners, and he's got like non sequiturs that just end. It's like, uh, you know what happens when you take the car out, right? You're supposed to fill it back up. And he just closes the door. Like, no, no, he's like, you know, you know the rule about filling up the car with gas if you take it out. Now you do. Now you do. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And then he's like, "Oh, I didn't know that I was gonna uh, go out and get lucky tonight." And then it's like, "I guess that's it." And then he's got the closing line of the movie. <laughs> so, thinking back to when I was a kid, I do remember the ending never really sat right with me because uh-huh. if like, Grandpa fix their knows. pipes, I can't just leave the movie here. Well, no, it, it's it's the line that it ends on. If Grandpa knows there are vampires everywhere, yeah. then others must know, which means there must be some kind of conspiracy of silence in the town. Um, it doesn't have to be a conspiracy. It's just the thing they accept. Right, but that that always, it, it opened more questions for my young so, It's fair to have, I, I can agree, it's fair to have questions. I would argue in the same way that like, people just know Michael Myers is out there. Like there's no real, like there's no conspiracy. It's just like, yeah, that's just a thing. You know, there, you know there I didn't think about that until you just said it. <laughs> people just know Freddy, uh, uh, Jason Voorhees is just, yeah, just don't go to the lake, guys. I mean, yeah, he's out there, but we can't do anything about it. That is a weird thought that people in Haddonfield are just like, let's just keep living here. <laughs> it does suggest they were doing some sort of inadvertent world building too, right? Because the Frog Brothers, I noticed this this time around, the, the Frog Brothers have a throwaway line where they say, uh, uh, they suspect that the vampires have infiltrated city hall or government or something like that. So mm-hmm. there's clearly a, a broader universe here. Which is not new to like vampire. I mean, even Blade is doing that too, where it's just like vampires are everywhere. Like that's a, they're, they run and stuff. You know, sure. like they're, I mean, that's, that's, that's that aristocratic roots that you're talking about as far as how they're able to prosper in so many ways. Like why are there vampires in Santa Carla to begin <laughs> with? I don't know. I guess one came over on a ship some at some point or crossed the Oregon Trail and pitched up <laughs> Fort in Santa Carla and just like, yep, we have vampires here now. This is where we are now. 
but in terms of yes having questions sure all about it all, all about like wanting to explore more i have no idea what happens in the lost boys two and three that went straight mm-hmm. to, let alone the comic books that exist but I mean, i'm sure they probably address this in some capacity here's a question for you and i'm sure. switching to switching rather abruptly to fright night yeah um jerry the vampire that's yeah. meant to be funny right yes it's his name's jerry his name is <laughs> that's very obviously supposed to be funny okay, <laughs> i found him to be funny like i think i think he's a comedic character yes why is I, he always eating apples it keeps the doctor away, Mike. He's temptation, oh, he's dude. He's tempt, Mike. He's tempt, that's, 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 that's too odd. That's way. That's right on the nose. He's temptation incarnate. He's a vampire. A little, a little on he's, the nose. he's eating an apple. Yes, he's tempting yeah. you. That's what he does. He's a snake in the grass. That's thinking out loud. Pretty <laughs> clever. Pretty clever. Uh, he's also wearing like great turtlenecks. He's got great clothing in this movie. Oh, Sarandon, I think so. Yeah, like talk about the actors here. Like Sarandon, I think is great in this movie. I think he's he's a very like without, he's a great Dracula without being Dracula. Yeah, yeah, like suave debonair, you know, smooth and uh, charming, and uh, we'll we'll kill you in a second. A lot of eye acting, a lot of staring at you. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like I like me myself. Mm-hmm. You can really like see the Jack Skellington in his eyes. That's yes. Like... Yeah. Sure. I wonder when this thing started happening in movies that involves sort of my human face and then my vampire face being completely different makeup effect. I think earlier vampires, you know, you just the, the teeth come out. The teeth come out, yeah. It, right. But to sort of have this demonic face, because both movies do this. The Hammer films. The Hammer films kind of get into did, that. Did Bella Lugosi have like a non-vampire face? Not Not really. He's just teeth. I mean. yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, it's it's the hammer the hammer era is when it kind of it not not entirely right away but it start it started that more sure and even I mean you could argue like I am legend the book and then like the evolution of that it's oh, yeah, always been it's that. always been weird because it's like it's about vampires people think it's about zombies because like Omega Man and the Will Smith version they like make it weirdly zombieish but it's like well, it's about vampires <laughs> that's what the story is. <laughs> Uh, but, I want to mention the score in both of them as well. Uh, very 80s, but at the same time, Lost Boys has... They open with a, a child choir um, singing Thou Shall Not Kill? Uh-huh. And it just continues throughout the movie. It's kind of creepy and, and weird, but uh, it actually fits with the theme. Now that you've mentioned it, Mike, about, hey, maybe these kids were probably younger um, and they were like more like Lord of the Flies, Lost Boys kind of thing. Uh, maybe this this child choir actually makes more more sense. Uh, but I still like I still like the synth scores in both eighties. Uh, the movie's called Lost something. Boys. Like it wants to keep a sort of innocence theme in mind sure. as far and like in the bridging of the gap of that. And but... Laddie makes it out alive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the score in Bright Night is doing more work to telegraph the humor. Yeah, it's more well, it's playful. It's yeah. it's Brad Fidel, like James Cameron's guy for a while. Uh, and yeah, it has more. Even like the tracks on the soundtrack are beyond. Besides, like when they go to that club, they're mostly. It's more poppy, you know. Like, yeah, yes. like Lost Boys is you know it's it's the alt scene in the eighties. Like that's more its speed. What do you make of that scene? The 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 nightclub scene in Fright Night. Fright Night, yeah. Because I, I think mm-hmm. I think it's the best scene in the movie. I uh, I. On a whole, as a set piece, sure. Like I certainly, you know, because I like those death scenes so much, and like what the effects are doing. But it, I, I think it's a great way to raise the stakes as far as why, why Jerry, why Jerry the vampire is a threat. I think I think it does a great job of that because he's not 
I mean, eventually he has to kill a couple of security guards. But before that, it's a lot of once again a lot of a lot of staring, a lot yeah. of a lot of Let me put you under my spell, a lot of prominent threats without actually doing much, and which I think is very effective. Which is why I think Chris Saran is very good in this movie. I think he's able to portray a certain level of threat while also turning on a dime, being like, "I'm just a guy," I'm just you know whatever. But then like right. he can kind of mood up the eyes a bit, and suddenly he's he's seducing um, Marcy from Married with Children. We're married. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can well, think of as well. I think I think as an effects showcase, obviously there's there's certain scenes that you have to point to, but in terms of it being kind of a weird little comedy, that dance slash seduction scene, um, it's the one scene that really strikes me as just telegraphing how absurd it is. Not just in what's going on story wise, but in choreography and soundtrack. It's it's just a really weird, weird scene. Um, yeah, I mean, it's also a scene that should spark some conversation because we should acknowledge this is basically a rape scene. Um, I don't want to be glib about that because the the gender politics of Fright Night aren't great. Um, all the women are basically conquests or damsels. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is maybe one thing that I remember about the the Colin Farrell remake is that the female characters are stronger. Um, it goes with the times, yeah. Yeah. So so that caveat aside, I thought that scene was just watching it. I was perking up, going like, "This is different and weird and kind of delightful." Yeah, I mean, there's no excuse for that in any way it'd be beyond just you could say i mean jerry dandridge is a powerful vampire and he can seduce anybody he wanted to which i also think the you know, colin fairly the the remake kind of toys with that as well a little bit as far as it's not just it's not just the women he's at it's just anyone that kind of gets in his way he can do what he wants in that regard that said i mean he has his familiar um uh, and this in this one there's no familiar in the, the remake he has his failure in this one um where i mean if you want to talk about the kind of queer coding uh you can you can see a relationship there beyond just being like the renfield to his dracula sure do i wonder if the central premise to fright night is is strains strains my credulity a little bit this idea that why would any kid this being charlie so fundamentally not understand that peter vincent is an actor that's something i never thought of before I mean, I get it. The cops don't believe him and he's desperate. But why, why would you, in, you know, would I insist that Vin Diesel help me if I needed to drive somewhere fast? No, I think he couldn't. He'd be furious. Right? <laughs> He'd be furious. Uh, it's, it's just, I, I didn't quite find myself on board with how he got from point A to point B, which is that my only hope is to talk this actor into being a vampire hunter. Like the idea, it, it rests on the idea that Charlie isn't quite aware of what actors do which seems a little far-fetched to me maybe yes, he knows he but maybe there's more information about peter vincent than we know <laughs> this movie but i i there's no real justification beyond i just i it's kids doing kids stuff to me i get that sure. he's 17 but it, it's thing. he's not a kid well but he's a nerd like i mean there's a, <laughs> he's, he's he's immature i guess is the end but he's 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 old enough he's young enough to be a schmuck but old enough to maybe make some more rational choices. But I, but I think that's sure. the conflict of the movie. I mean, the whole thing at the beginning, it's like he has his girlfriend and they're they, he She's like, are we taking this to the next level or what? And he's like, well, there's a guy with a coffin outside my door. That seems more interesting to me right now. Like, I mean, he's, he's a child. Not that, but he actually gets, I, I he gets sidetracked by the TV first. Yeah, he's the like, TV watch this. Yeah. Uh, you know, Charlie's a whiny little pissant with beady eyes. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's weird that the vampire is the one who lives next door because Charlie's the one who sucks. But 
So I'm with you, but it's just, it's a little, I mean, Roddy McDowell is the excuse to sort of bring him in. Sure. Well, he's, yeah. Cause he's great. Tons of he's very good. Yeah. But also, I mean, this, this speaks to the movie itself, which has this kind of old fashioned sensibility, despite it being like the latest and greatest in effects or what have you. I still, it's still what I think the director writer, Tom Holland is, um, he's, I think he's still trying to hearken back a step in the way that like Joe Dante would, or, or um, what's his face? Who um, Fred Decker, Night of the Creeps? Like I feel like there's this kind of sensibility that reminds them of like the Vincent Price days or whatnot, where like you don't really need to question these aspects of the plot because it's just kind of the vibe of the film to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting too because, as I was saying earlier, this is a film in which the protagonist defeats the villain with pop culture knowledge, and the other thing that Fright Night is also doing in tandem to that is presenting this sort of old school aristocratic vampire hunter, the old Van Helsing trope mm-hmm. is himself just kind of a campy relic in this film. Right. So yeah. yeah, I think both films are doing something similar in that they're stating that the kind of your, your grandfather's vampire is kind of passe and sure. we have a, a new breed for you. That's more about sex appeal. And um, I mean, yeah, Dracula has always been kind of a, you know, a seductive figure, but this new breed is, is. Well, they're younger. Yes, yes. And Chris Sarandon is like younger than the average Dracula. Like he's he's right, right. he seems more like obviously virile compared to like Bela Lugosi or whatever yeah, stage Gary Oldman's in at the like beginning that. of Dra- Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> like, and Peter Vincent is uh, Peter Cushing and Vincent Price, right? That's yes, that's kind of what I figured. And it was it, well, it, yeah. and Tom Holland very much wanted Vincent Price to be in this, but Vincent Price stopped doing horror movies, so mm-hmm. he. he, he he politely declined because Vincent Price is a very polite person. Uh, but um, seems but, like it, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, 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 obviously, it's very much a d- devoted like character to that kind of right. era of horror. Um, I think the, the thing we're also talking about as far as both of these movies because they're like we're at a point where we dissect movies on podcasts and there's Wikipedia articles and wiki pages that that you know have and elaborate 20 minute YouTube videos exactly yeah, all kinds of stuff where these are movies made in like 85 87 where they're just movies they didn't yeah. exist to be examined in a way of like let's put out let's think of every single detail as far as why these characters would act certain ways that's not to justify various things you can pick apart about the film that's whatever but I, I do think there's a sense of you just got to go with it at some point with some of, the, with some of the ideas of this film yeah well, totally cultural- Cultural criticism exists um, at this point already. Oh, for um, sure. I, I'm not beyond yeah. that. I, I do think Tom Holland is less concerned with why this kid would believe in Peter Vincent and more just like, that's just the thing. And he's just a kid. He, he believes him. That's it. There's yeah. no, there's, there wasn't a, a, a story or, you know, a, a, um, a Venn diagram and spreadsheets or what have you to detail the elaborateness of, of what Charlie Brewster's mind is like. It's just more like, yeah. Well, you know, knowing Charlie Brewster, you probably did some research, uh, you know, using Encyclopedia Britannica. Was like, Brewster oh, himself guy... would do that. Yeah. Cause he's a nerd. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he probably, he probably <laughs> you mean, you mean like in a library? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. They have those still in some, in some cities. It's weird. Um, I don't know. Schools have a lot of them these days, but um, they, they do. Um, it, I would. Yeah. I was going to say, it, it sounds like none of us have seen the Lost Boys sequels. Maybe. No, I have not. Yeah, that was a follow-up question I have for you guys later as well. Mike, no? No, I considered checking them out to prep for this, and then I just thought, not not today. Yeah. It feels like you don't have to, uh, in large part. I haven't heard the best things about them. Okay. Uh, but I certainly know it's uh, they're, they're focused on the Frog Brothers, and that's you know the big concentration there. Yeah. I, and we so we... Obviously, Are they related we... to the disgusting brothers? Hashtag suggestion. <laughs> we, we, 
Did you guys see Fright Night 2? I'm about to some. I did. Yeah, yeah, we we've seen we've we've obviously seen the remake, but yeah, I have seen Fright Night 2. And uh-huh. um Fright Night 2 is quite good. Does it <laughs> take place that, like right right the next day? Uh no, but it's it's 3 years after actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it brings <laughs> back Brewster and it brings back Roddy McDowell. Um and it's been a minute since I've seen it, and it's famously not able to stream anywhere, which is like weird to me. Like, it's, but it's it's not the it's not the same as Fright Night, but I still think it it does the job as far yeah. as it kind What's of like the general hey, premise. Um, I remember seeing it like back in the day, and I think like Charlie has repressed his memories or something like that, right through therapy. Is yeah. that okay? I think in the right, yeah. He, he yes, and then, but then he finds himself teaming back with Peter Vincent again for to go up against vampires that want revenge for them killing Jerry Jandridge. Ah, uh, okay. This is the one with the roller skating. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, got it. But it's 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 better than it has any right to be. Is my is my general thought on that? Like it's it's pretty good. Yeah. It, it's it, done Peter... by Tommy Lee Wallace, who did Halloween three, uh, among other things. This is the other uh, witch. Yeah. The witch. Um. Since your memory seems a little crisper than mine, I, I feel like I have this memory of having seen Fright Night 2 and thinking, so so Fright Night original is, Roddy McDowell is, is loads of fun, but I kind of remember thinking that there's just too much going on. And so the center of focus in that film is Charlie, right? And so he's got his relationship with his girlfriend and then one with his mother. And then there's the evil Ed, his best friend. And then of course the neighbor and then Peter Vincent enters into it. And I feel like that, unfortunately saps the film of the dynamic that I think is most fascinating in the film, which is the banter between Charlie and Peter Vincent, this sort of mm-hmm. buddy dynamic they have. Mm-hmm. And I seem to remember that that relationship is a bit more central in the sequel. Yeah. Am I that, that's because that's, that's what they want to capitalize on. They like, right. they don't have evil Ed and Amanda Beers. She, she was doing marital children at that point. So she's not doing the sequel. And so they have like mm-hmm. a different female lead, but she's not like a less of a factor. And so, yeah, there's more time spent on Charlie because they're already friends at that point. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, like, yeah, I had a question and, for you guys. And you're, and you're not wrong, real quick. Like, that's yeah. they, they clearly they realized that that was a winning aspect of, among other things, that was a winning aspect of the film. So, yeah, they recentered it a bit so it could have that more intact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, a question was just around both these movies. Aaron and I were probably like sub five years old when these came out. Did they pick up, or would they? Did they become cult classics later down the line? Um, so both of them were profitable, okay. um, not hugely profitable. I mean, that that at that time, sure, sure, it's yeah, the yeah. kind of thing where like they're made for like under ten million. They, Fright Night goes twenty five, Lost Boys is thirty two. Yeah, I can definitely um, see the Lost Boys getting appeal because of what Mike brought up about the cast, and also, well, yeah, you have the star of Solar Babies, Jason Patrick. So I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what he's known for, but. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, they they got, I think Lost Boys is a little more mixed in its reviews because there's a lot of like style over substance, blah, 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 where Fright Night got a little more, a little stronger, but like not like amazing, like, you know, crushing out of the park reviews. But yeah, they made their money and then they become like VHS hits and like cable TV staples for a while. But and so it's the kind of it was kind of a gradual thing, I think, for both of them. Um, Movies that were like acknowledged, but then became over time more and more you know, in favor of the cult audience, it's like, yeah, Jerry Dandridge and Evil Ed, those are my characters, or um, or uh, Kiefer Sutherland and uh, everybody, like, you know, it, it picks up that kind of appeal, and certainly Lost Boys of, like, you know, posters and that kind of a thing. Right. Well, I think there's no question which film has had a lasting influence, right? Because I don't think you get Buffy the Vampire Slayer without Lost Boys. 
or arguably even like a Twilight or anything like that. This sort of kind of brooding, emo, angsty teenage vampire. I think that entire subgenre, which is like a TV staple nowadays, owes a lot to Lost Boys, much more than, I mean, you know, Fright Night has had a sequel and um, remake, a successful remake. And I guess no one has technically remade Lost Boys, except for all the sort of films that are in TV shows that have been influenced by it. Sure. So I think Lost Boys has a real legacy. I feel like that yeah. uh, Fright Night doesn't. You know, when you're talking about like the um, like the emonis of it, quote unquote. Uh, yeah, I certainly think of uh, some of that I mentioned to Aaron a few weeks ago about Reginald the Vampire on Sci-Fi, um, which is kind of like in line with this, like a, a vampire kind of just trying to trying to actually be in love with this girl that he likes, but also uh, is a vampire. I will note that Fright Night has stage play as well. Um, there you go. All I right. mean, they, they both had their comics. They both had novelization, whatnot. I don't disagree with you. I think. I mean, Last Last Boys has more of the. I mean, Last Boys is coming out eighty seven. It's more emo. It's more rebellious with the teens or what have you. So it it it, it leads right into like the grunge alt era of the nineties. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. Is why sure. that would like get the pickup more quickly, um, in that regard. And yeah, like I think the just based on Schumacher's style, it's more there's an iconicism that I think is very readily present there when it comes to like the poster it, it on its own. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it, I can see why that would be just have the more lasting appeal in that regard sure. for, you know, yeah. teenagers. And what I definitely you. see like teenagers being like, let's have a sleepover and then like, let's watch last boys. Cause I heard that it's good. Um, that probably still happens. Yeah, like, and I think it, it goes beyond just horror, right? It's like, look at, you know, these cool kids wearing their jackets and whatnot, where Fright Night is more of a horror thing. Like, but Fright Night's more of like, hey, I want to watch a movie, you know, with, you know, neat care, neat uh, special effects or whatnot. Like, it, uh, it, it's a certain kind of appeal where Lost Boys has a more universal appeal just based off of the blending of genres and what it's going for. Sure. Well, also, you can see impressionable teenagers watching Lost Boys and thinking, I want to be like them. I want Exactly. Dress- yeah, no one wants no, to no be William Ragsdale. <laughs> yeah, one's emulating Charlie. No can one's I- going to do their trigonometry homework after they watch Friday. Aaron, when you say, you know, Joel Schumacher's sensibilities, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm curious how, how you would describe Joel Schumacher's sensibilities. He's in that school with, like, Ridley and Tony in the, Scott in the 80s where they're, you know, smokiness um the and the kind of emphasis on the production design and not in a way where it's like i don't want to say gaudy schumacher maybe a little more so than than those two but like there's there's a kind of a there's an aesthetic there that really you can feel like there's there's a director that has a voice that wants to throw in you know stylistic aspects to what he's presenting and take a look at like you can look at um lost boys you can look at um uh, what are like um uh, flatliners flat thank you flat i was trying to think of the name flatliners um and um saying almost fire and there's a sort of like there's a moodiness that comes with schumacher's films that i think is seen outwardly through the designs of the sets the, sure. the the emphasis on those aspects on the costumes or what have you it gets and this is, you know, this is just like the 80s era. I mean, you get to his 90s, it's a little more broad because he has like the Batman movies or like The Client or yeah. um, what's it, A Time to Kill, where there's kind of exaggerated emotions is the best way to put it, I would say, as far as how the characters are acting in a lot of those films. Falling Down even factors into that as well. Um, oh, my God, Falling Down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, the thing about Joel Schumacher, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying, but I think ultimately... I think he he was a vulgarian at heart. Hmm. 
I mean that in in the most complimentary way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because, I mean, insofar as you can be really excessive in a a type of- I would would argue like the the most extreme version is Baz Luhrmann in that regard. Right. So like, well, I would say, yeah, in in terms of studio filmmaking, I'd say Baz Luhrmann or even like a Verhoeven, um, if you want to sort of expand. But I mean, like Baz Luhrmann and Joel Schumacher, as far as like, those are guys that like, they know art direction very much. Yeah. (laughs) No. So these are directors who understand and appreciate the ability to produce, how do I, hmm, to produce meaning and fun through the sensibilities of access. Right. Yeah. And that's one stone's throw away from subversiveness and camp. I mean, that saxophonist, right? That's just, I don't know for a fact, but I'm just going to go ahead and assume that if Joel Schumacher hadn't directed that, we wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have gotten sexy saxophone guy. It's just, it's, it's so campy. (laughs) This is why I think, like, I actually really defend Batman and Robin. Um, It's a terrible film, but it's the only Batman movie that truly subverts the formula. And Schumacher does this by filtering it through the aesthetics of camp. I think he understands that superheroes and their outfits and getting suited up to go out uh, to go out at night is just it's all nonsense pageantry. And Batman and Robin is basically if a Batman movie was a two hour drag performance. Yeah. I and think, it's incredible. Yeah. Now, the problem is that that movie gets really insufferable really fast. But it's amazing that he gets away with that kind of giant troll on a on a big budget studio project. It's yeah. why it's why. I like forever quite a bit because I do think it, it rides that line better to me as far right. as it feels like it's very like the design of Gotham while not Burton's Gotham, it's still very much a designed world that's impossible yet intriguing, but it uh-huh. also, it also plays into studio convention as far as the standards of an action sure. movie. And it, I think it more or less works in that regard where Batman and Robin, you're not wrong. It very much leans into the sensibilities even harder, but also my issue is not with the outlandish stuff. It's more that it just gets really boring in the middle. <laughs> yeah. just... As I say, like, you know, we've, we've talked about it in uh, commentaries and, you know, retroactive uh-huh. reviews. And I think we, we basically disagree that Schumacher, he's got panache in his movies. Sure. Yeah. And that's something that uh, was a daring thing to do. And people might have not have liked the movies, but when you look back at it, they're colorful. They're Joel Schumacher movies. And they've got like, uh, these comic tones to them that we kind of don't associate with comic movies these days because we've got the MCU and we've got the the Nolan Batman series. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, like, yeah, exactly what Mike said. Like, these are people that dress in, like, latex, rubber latex uh, that go out and crime fight at night, you know? So. I, I agree for the most part. I would, like, even the Nolans, like, they have their levels of quirk to there's, them. There's feels, actually a lot of humor in the they, And they, feel, they still feel specifically like a director made them, where, like, the... And it's not all the MCU films, and it's not all the DC films, but like the ones that feel the most standard are the ones that very obviously feel like a studio made them compared to sure. you know the directors of Sugar. Uh, so. <laughs> but bringing that well, back into his directing style, it very much comes across in Lost Boys, which is like, hey man, this could be about a lot of different things, but I and I want it to be about a lot of different things, and I'm gonna make this movie the way that I see it, which is why I find it very fascinating. The opening shot is like a I guess they didn't have cranes, but I mean, they do, but it was a helicopter shot going to the boardwalk. And then there's just like really interesting things that happen with Michael as he progresses through. Um, and when he's talking to Kiefer Sutherland and how they've again, set layout and set designed all of the, the things um, less so on like the, the Corey Haim stuff and actually a little bit more so on some of the Diane Weiss stuff as well. 
And it's reflected in the reviews of this movie where horror in general is never like getting amazing reviews out the gate unless it's something like revolutionary. But this is a movie that the plot is fairly thin. I mean, there's not a lot going on in terms of story momentum and like the, you know, when you have a, a, a set of older critics that are just watching like kids be cool for an hour and a half, it's like, yeah, I can see why they're not like immediately fighting. They're, you know, making claims of style over substance and nothing else where others especially nowadays are reading more into the things that were going on sure. and reflecting on the aspect of, you know, teenage, teenage innocence being lost in the name, in the name of vampirism uh, or whatever yeah. you want to say about it. Style and sort of flamboyance, I think are, are crucial things. Although I don't think, I don't think a really key thing to understanding Joel Schumacher's aesthetic is um, like a strain of, of wink, wink humor. He does have that in some films, but not others. I think it's, I think it's just sort of, for lack of a better term, like a, a a taste for trash, right? And and I mean trash is like an aesthetic sensibility, not as a, a value judgment, because you know all these movies are right on for what we're talking about. But he's also done like eight millimeter, didn't yeah. he do eight millimeter? Right? Yeah, I mean, he has he, he has a yeah. a really weird run because it's like yeah. it's I don't think of him necessarily as a journeyman because he has too much like in common with a lot of his movies, but he has like. You know, he has Batman, then he has a time to kill. He has Batman around the eight millimeter. He has Tigerland and phone. Yeah, like he's got Tigerland. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, oh, it's wait, a... Tigerland, uh, Colin Farrell, like Vietnam. Is, that's where yeah, I. That's where Colin I'm like, Farrell this guy. This guy movie. rules. Put him in things, and they put him in things. It's like, ah, it's okay. And then they like, put him in better things. It's like, good, yeah, Colin Farrell, he's back. <laughs> but Tigerland's great. He's great in that yeah. movie. Do we want to give any thought to Tom Holland while we're at it? Or I don't know. I mean, Tom, Tom Holland's just less, he's far less prolific as a director. He's certainly, he, he's, I mean, is, you know, he's more of a writer. And even then, like, you know, his two biggest films are, are um, Fright Night and Child's Play. And Child's Play is not really his, his like, vehicle. It's not really his vehicle. It's, it's the, it's, um, uh, Mancini. Yeah. It's a Don Mancini's thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he happened to direct it. And, by all accounts, they don't really seem to get along. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the good news is that Tom Holland got reborn as Tom Holland again, so now he's I was just saying he's great in these Spider-Man movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, like he, like I was mentioning earlier, I do think he has this kind of sensibility that's similar to like a Joe Dante or to to like Fred Decker who made a um, uh, Monster Squad, where mm-hmm. it they it feels like there's something indebted to an older school of horror that they tra- that like they wanted to bring to the to the yeah. new school and i i feel that too i mean the joe dante reference is very apparent like you know charlie reminds me of i think his name is charlie as well in gremlins uh, but like all that aesthetic kind of just comes across billy right billy yeah it's something with a y but um yeah the aesthetic kind of comes across in um in this movie as well um uh, so it is a little bit more of a quote unquote like a lighter feel, I guess. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I like what he's doing with some of his horror elements. What else? What we I did it. I was like, I, I knocked you guys speechless. Yeah. <laughs> anything else in regards to these two movies? I'm trying to think of we have anything we haven't covered here. Um would you welcome a remake of Lost Boys? Like is there a, is there anything else to do with that? I know well I know famously there was going to be a Lost Girls like that was an idea oh. that they wanted if the movie was more successful they wanted uh-huh. to, like Keeper Sutherland's character notably does not blow up at the end he just gets impaled right and the thought was that he could be alive still and that I don't know what the plot would be for the Lost Girls but I mean there was that was an idea that was certainly like tossed around it didn't come to fruition but yeah 
Like Mike, I'm, would you welcome I'm, more Lost Boys? Uh, as far as utterly unnecessary remakes go, I think. Well, it'd be a legacy sequel nowadays. You wouldn't just remake it. <laughs> right. Well, think... it's called a requill. Didn't you want Scream 5? <laughs> There's ways to do it that I think could be entirely successful. Sure. Um, I don't I don't like the idea of Lost Girls just because I think um as someone who cares about better representation of women on screen, I think just re- like photoshopping them into pre-existing franchises like your Ocean's Aid or Ghostbusters or whatever is not the way to do it. So yeah, I mean if it was good, if it had the right cast, of course, it would probably be cast full of people who I wouldn't even recognize. Um, people yeah. off the CW, you know. Uh, if, it's done well, if it's done well with the right first people behind it, uh, you know, who am I to say? It won't sure. work. Work. It's the kind of thing that I enjoy as far as, hey, there are directors that have grown up watching these movies that are using them as the, as the influence where it's like, that's that can be interesting. Doesn't mean it will be, but it can be. Where I think like, I think the success of the past couple screen movies comes from the fact that these are people that actually grew up with Wes Craven. And that's an interesting angle that they were able to play with successfully mm-hmm. where others are less successful is the best way to put it. So it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not personally thinking like, Oh man, I hope they, that, you know, lost boys gets revived at some point, but I, I yeah. wouldn't be, I'd like to think that if that was actually a thing they were going to do, the thought would be put into it as far as who they're involving and have a reason why beyond just Craven money grabs. Yeah, well, you know, let's not speak it into existence just for the sake of speaking into his ex- existence. I'm trying not to, but at the same time, we, we both really like the Fright Night remake. So I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. It's a really solid remake. I would say if I saw Lost Boys remake sort of forthcoming, my concern was that they would be leaning too much into the comedy and kind of making it, you know, full of contemporary slang and, and kids who are joking about, oh, I'm going to put this on Instagram and lines like that, which would just be a drag. Mm-hmm. I would want it to be hard R violent and it can be funny and 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 cheeky and all those things and that's that, why i, I that's is, why but... that's why i think that 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 potential is there now if this was like the 2000s or even the like early 2010s i would say there's more of a chance for that for that horrible version you're talking about but i do think that there's a the one with sean william scott it... <laughs> That's not bad about Sean William Scott here. I mean, <laughs> hold on. He's right on the show. He's, he's a goon. <laughs> no. But I hear what you're saying. That I, the, Actually, the reason why I, I, I kind of held out was like, Dude, I, I probably, what's ahead? Look, we all, they, it, they, yeah, he made some choices based that were typecast to him, but the guy's a solid actor is what I'm saying. He's, he's coming to his own. Um, but I was going to say, for everything that we talked about for Lost Boys and it's, um, you know, double meetings or or triple meetings or deeper meetings. Um, yeah, unless you had something that made it fairly relevant, then I would I would not hope that they would make a remake of it. I um, I, I agree. Just before I got knocked off with that Sean Scott coming, I was just <laughs> gonna say I do I do think that were the choice to be made to make it now, if you want to get one that like really represents the spirit of Lost Boys, I feel like that would be more likely nowadays than it would be during that earlier period when they're making sure. all these horror remakes. I feel like that, like the same with like, regardless of how much you like it, I think Candyman is a good example of that as far as it takes yeah. the subject matter seriously and tries to do something interesting with it that maintains a spirit similar to Bernard uh, Rose's uh, uh, film uh, from the 90s. Sure, I, yeah. I feel like if you try to do Lost Boys, they probably would find someone that wants to you know, go atmospheric with it and emphasize a certain level of of you know style and, and coolness that matches what Schumacher was going for compared to being this kind of yeah cheeky wink wink um, remake thing. Sure. 
that's an interesting comparison because Candyman is is about about the issues, right? I mean, yeah. Candyman, yeah. both both of them urban racial geography and things. And so when they did a sequel slash reboot a couple of years ago, these are the themes that they're really building upon and kind of both breathing new life into the story, but also expanding on some of the topics that are being addressed in the first one. And so if you're going to make a Lost Boys uh, remake that sort of capitalizes on and expands and really dives deep into sort of a set of issues, what would those issues be? Because it's not just about replicating atmospherics, right? You'd have uh -huh. to really get into what's what's going on in Lost Boys under the surface. And apart from what I proposed earlier, which is a sort of a, a queer reading, I'm not sure what that would be because it, it is a pretty sparse plot, right? Mm -hmm. Candyman is just oozing with uh, with lore and mm -hmm. and uh, and depth and things like that. So I'm not yeah. sure what someone would have to key into to say, no, no, we want to not just remake Lost Boys, but really dive into some of the themes that uh, we feel yeah, uh, you, both were present in the earlier one and are still very relevant right. today. You need a real Lost Boyologist to to nail that as far as what they're going for, which is why it, I mean, ultimately it just seems unnecessary in the same way that like Beetlejuice 2, which is getting announced now again, and this time it's, they seem like they're serious about it. And I'm like, fucking why? Cause it's like, there's uh, such a lightning in a bottle thing. The first time it's like, you don't do another, like there's no other way to do this. That's why he gets like, loose again, Aaron. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's why Fright Night, remaking Fright Night makes sense to me. It's like, yeah, that premise, it's high concept. Like that's easy. Like right. that. And, and fortunately they were successful uh, in our eyes. Um, Lost Boys. It's like, it's such a thing. Same with like near dark. Once again, it's, it's such a, like a thing to itself where it's like, how do you do another like what's the what do you get out of that? it's like like unless you have someone that really delves in there isn't much there beyond like this specific cast this specific director made a thing that's unique to this specific time so it's like i don't know what you do yeah again. that's <clears throat> that's why my concern would be you just take the exact same premise exact same dynamics and just swap out the pop culture references mm -hmm. and that's not only does that strike me as really shallow, but it also inherently loses appeal for me because that means it's going to be full of references that I'm less likely to understand. If you want to talk about films that has influenced, I mean, you people can make fun of it all they want to, but Twilight, honestly, has just, a lot more in common like, with, with Lost Boys exactly, than yeah. doing a remake of it. <laughs> yeah, and my friend that up earlier too, and, and so did you, like, that's exactly the, uh, you know, the spawn of these types of movies. And again, where it it's like, kind of self-serious but also kind of having fun with itself as well it's like yeah it's twilight you know like we exist here you know uh in the woods of the pacific northwest uh for no resident reason other than that we're here and there are special things that happen to them so mike sounds like uh sounds like you got a movie brewing yeah it it does given how many things draw from lost boys it's both con confusing so that's that's a good argument for why there hasn't been a lost boys remake because there's just already a ton of lost boys derivative stuff out there yeah but simultaneously that's a weird reason why they haven't optioned it right because there's clearly a, a market demand for it right now would be the time to make a lost boys remake but um i'm sure someone somewhere has been trying oh yeah I'm, i have no doubt that this is, that's, there, that's, yeah. a, that's a floor in the wb office it's the lost boys floor <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll see what happens when Sean William Scott stars as Edward Herman's character in 2026's Lost Boys. We'll uh, we'll know yeah. to, we'll know who to contact first to see. Picks up a copy of Dude Wears My Car. It's like I've heard good things about this movie. Okay, it becomes meta. <laughs> uh, well, I think we've talked about both of these movies um, to full extents here, and I had a good time doing it. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> did you have a good time today? Are we are we satisfied of our Lost Boys Fright Night coverage? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's always good to have Mike on and talk about. Uh, sometimes from an academic perspective, all these movies and just being like, this is uh, something I never thought about before. Well, both movies are currently available in 4K uh, on physical wow. release. Although I think the Fright Night one, I think that's sold like Fright Night sells out quick. I mean, you talk about cult impact. I mean, Fright Night has it sells all the time. Like they've released it a lot, <laughs> like immediately goes out of print. Um, but uh, it is streaming and very you can rent it on Apple. It's on Tubi. Um, Lost Boys, I have to imagine, is on Max, um, Sans HBO. Um, oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we have to. We have to. I thought you were making a clever joke. It was like, no, no we, we get right. sued if we don't. Um, no, it's not right now. Currently, well, you can rent oh. it and buy it anywhere. Like it, and it just got a 4K release pretty right. recently okay. too. So it's they're both films that you can find. Is what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> that's the main thing there. Um, and I, you know, regardless of which one you like more, I think we both are. We the three of us would all say we certainly recommend these movies. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely check them out. I mean, again, they they're they're quote unquote classics classics for a reason i would even recommend it as a double feature yeah it'd be fun i watched Ooh. them pretty close to each other i was like this is a cool pair to watch together <laughs> like right. near the same time so. Ooh, which would you recommend first i'd say fright oh night. i i mean i would say fright night but i i mean it's i it's also a matter of like what are you looking for i think but i do think like if you want like a horror night I, you know i think fright night like delivers as far as like hey there's a you know kind of a goofy characters at the center of this thing that you can smile with while also being like wow that was a really intense death sequence for evil (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was thinking um fright night is more intimate and then lost boys is just a a grander movie and so Uh that's why i would order it that way yeah i would go the opposite way but that's just me i think you i think lost boys skews older like in 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 spirit so i guess that you, you watch the yeah, and then you then you put on, I guess, Near Dark after it. At some point, I'm going to watch Near Dark. <laughs> What's going like... on with this Near? You mentioned it like ten times because because it's it's also eighties yeah. vampire <laughs> teen romance stuff. Like it's a very it fits right in with this. It's with like this now I have to watch this again to see how bad Adrian is. <laughs> I'm like overplaying it because people love Near Dark. Like I'm the I'm the outlier on this movie. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> uh, regardless, Mike, this was fun. Thank you very much for including us once again, Monster Palooza. <laughs> Uh, Thank and, you guys, and uh, you know, resulting in this fun conversation that the three of us could have. Yeah, uh, 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 you people are strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to uh, future Monster Palooza events where we can uh, choose another movie that we can all, uh, you know, rap about. Um, rap about? Yeah, like, with Michael Rappaport. Yeah, this makes sense. We should get him on the show. Uh, he talks a lot. He does. He, does. he he would he would take it over. We can make um, that happen. I have a last question for you guys. Uh (laughs) This is true. Uh, Final wrap-up question for you guys. If you guys could have one one prop from either movie, what would you take? Ooh. Um, Let's see. Mike wants the maggot-filled rice box. Let's see. (laughs) What what would I want? Hmm. The the wine bottle that they drink from in Lost Boys is... It's it's got a lot of uh, embellishments on it, yeah. The saxophone. (laughs) The saxophone. Not bad, hey, what would you bad. want? I would take uh, one of Grandpa's stuffed beavers. No, that's actually <laughs> one of his TV guides. Yeah, but don't rip up, don't peel off the address label. Um, no, the um, the eviction notice that uh, Ryder McDowell gets. <laughs> I was like, why is it written in like old English style font? All right. Well, uh, Mike, anything you want to plug? 
nothing to plug other than um, if you are in SoCal, check out Monster Palooza. That's I feel like I'm obliged to say that, but you wouldn't regret it. Okay, here you go. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this bonus episode of Out Now, Out and Abe. Uh, you can find us in all our places that you usually find us. We have all these things. We have our social pages and all that for Out Now and Now Underscore Podcast and Facebook and whatnot. Um, so yeah, uh, Mike, thank you very much once again for joining us for this discussion. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. For sure. And yeah, that's going to do it for this bonus episode. So until next time, so long. And have a spectacular evening. Right.